Hi there, I'm Mark Isero, and this is Article Club, a kind and thoughtful reading community where we focus on one great article every month on race, education, or culture. Welcome to February, everybody, and I'm happy that you're here listening because this month we have a great article to discuss. It's called Saying Goodbye to My Chest, and it's by Naomi Gordon Lobel, and it was originally published in Esquire last October. I highly urge that you read it. The essay is about a lot of things, um, but one of the things that it's about is that time right before something really big changes in your life. And in the case of Gordon Lobel, it is about her top surgery, which she has contemplated for many, many years. It's a really vulnerable piece. It's really poignant. It's funny. It's nuanced. It's just really, really outstanding. And I really hope that you do read it. I'm also very happy to say that I got a chance to speak with uh, Naomi just a few days ago, and it was just really a lot of fun to talk to her. We talked about a lot of things, like how it feels now to be on the other side of the procedure, how there's not one monolithic experience of being trans, how trans people deserve nuance and lots of different stories and narratives, not just one narrative. And we also talked about writing in general. It was just really great conversation, and I'm really hoping that you enjoy it. Here it is. Naomi, thank you so much for doing Article Club. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Your piece is outstanding. We can't wait to talk about it. And just want to jump in. The first thing that folks want to ask about is when you wrote this piece, you were 51 days out, and we're assuming that you're on the other side. So how how are you feeling? I feel amazing. I am now, I think, about a year and two months post-op. Actually, exactly a year and two months in like three days. And I feel incredible. I feel like an interesting thing about writing this piece was that I really didn't know how I was going to feel after surgery. And that was really kind of the point was like I wanted to capture this moment in my life where I didn't know where I was like really living in this moment of uncertainty and like not knowing. And I, I, I knew that I wouldn't, that wouldn't be true forever. And I wanted to kind of like document it and remember what that felt like. And I'm so glad I did because yeah, I do feel so different being on the other side. And the short of it is like, it just, you know, it turned out to be easily the best thing I've ever done for myself by a long shot and has has provided me with like more joy and joy doesn't even really get to it. I mean, people use the word euphoria sometimes, but like that, you know, then I've really, anything else has really given me my life. So I feel great. And I sometimes feel like I have to write some kind of part two, except I don't think that's really where I'm at, but um, but yeah, feel good. Yeah. You said in the piece that you just felt like you couldn't postpone this anymore. Not mm. just not just the top surgery, but also maybe writing about it because you talk a whole lot about time also in this piece, not just how many days it is until the top surgery, but also just all of the years since being in front of that mirror for the first time and sort of like realizing that something was possible. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you caught that because yeah, the time, that was like one of the things I was thinking about was like, how has it been 19 years and how it's such a long time. And, and then at the same time, it feels not surprising because my, what my life felt like then, or like my relationship with my body at that point of binding every day felt so normal to me that it did make sense that it had been 19 years. 
Yeah, I can't remember if it stayed in the piece, but at a certain point, I calculated how many days I'd been binding for. And mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, thousands and thousands of days. So yeah. yeah, time, something I think about. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that first image, I remember just reading it for the first, I've read your piece like about seven times at this point. But the first image that just sort of blew me away was you at age, I think, 14, right? Mm. First, first time binding and also at the, like at the mirror. And just yeah. sharing, I mean, can you share a little bit more about like how that felt and, and more specifically also how you called back to that time many years later? Totally. Yeah. It's so wild because it really is. I'm 35. So it would have been 21 years ago. And like, even now, when you say that I can like picture, I really, I feel like I'm like right back in that room. It's my bedroom at my parents' house, the mirror for a period of time hung on the side of the closet. And it was like this blue plastic Ikea mirror and it was like sunny in my room. Like I just remember it. It was so striking. And yeah, a friend had given me a binder. I think that friend had had top surgery and wasn't going to use it anymore. And it was like old and ratty and I put it on and I put a white t-shirt on over it. And what felt so striking was like, and it's very interesting because I had the same feeling years later after surgery, but what felt so striking was to look in the mirror and be like, I like the way I look like this feels like what I'm supposed to look like. And that was such a powerful feeling that I didn't know I was capable of having. And so then, you know, actually going back to your first question about how do I feel now? Like one of the things that's been really crazy about having surgery is that I look in the mirror now and have that feeling and it's not from a binder. And yeah. And so, yeah, to write about it, you know, I, I find writing about these moments in the past that we remember to be both very challenging and also really fruitful. A writer who was mentoring me once said this thing to me that like, she felt like writing about writing is about going down. She has this beautiful image of like going down to the bottom of the ocean, which is sort of your, your, your mind. And it's like, to me, I picture like sea creatures like floating by and you're just writing down what you're seeing. And, mm -hmm. and it's also this very ephemeral kind of space where like you could sort of float back up to the top at any time. It's like hard to stay down there. And yeah, that's kind of what it feels like when I try to go back to when I, and you know, I remember also sitting at my kitchen counter in St. Louis where I wrote the essay and being like, what was that moment like in front of the mirror? And I'm glad I wrote it down because it was a significant moment in my life that I had never written about. Yeah. I mean, you also write about other very significant moments too, just like the childhood memory and being very clear that you don't, you didn't want childhood again, but you wanted, I don't know exactly the words, but it almost like the, the, the freedom or just the experience of feeling like that, that moment. It's really amazing. Like in your piece, the specific nuance also that you have, for example, in your relationship, as you say, with your chest saying like, it's not bad, you're fond of it. It's been, it's been a good chest, but it's like, I was really, as you as a reader, I was really getting into like, well, what is the relationship, you know, that, that you have, or that you had, you know, with your chest. And it was just really remarkable how you yeah. were able to have that nuance. I mean, I really, you're clearly such a thoughtful reader, Mark. So I appreciate you like, noticing those things because yeah that is that's the intention and I think maybe for a while I didn't write about my chest in part because I was like well what do I have to say that's new like there are there's lots of beautiful writing by trans writers and I was like what do I have to you know I don't really have a story like there's not something that's sort of it doesn't feel eventful but actually something that I think about a lot these days as a writer is that there's there's no obviously no one monolithic experience of being trans, being gender nonconforming, having a 
and being any of those identities and being non-binary and having a complicated relationship with your body. And I feel like I have read lots of people's experiences of of being in their bodies and relating to their bodies as trans people, but I hadn't read mine. And like, I, I feel like we, one of the things that I think about at this like particular moment that we're in, in terms of literature about trans and gender nonconforming experiences is that there's more and more representation and that's great, but we also like deserve nuance and complexity and, and all of the different, so many different narratives about experiences that sort of seem the same on the surface. And so, yeah, like I'm very aware that my experience is just mine. And, and there are people, I think like folks who feel very differently about their chest, like that they do hate it or they, or or that they actually do sort of wish to undo time and that is a totally obviously legitimate and real experience to have and I wanted to write about mine and yeah so I am yeah I think about that these days like I just think we deserve everybody deserves like any identity that we're, when we're writing about identity we deserve to sort of present we deserve more than just like one representation of it right yeah, absolutely. Like even the part also where you talk about sleeping shirtless, for example, and how exhilarating that was and how you refer you refer to your chest as, you know, like just the idea of not being there anymore. The idea like it's both part of you, but not. And then also yeah. and also the nuance, you know, about like how lovingly you talk about, you know, your binder but also how <laughs> obviously it like hurt a lot of a lot of the time as well. Yeah. Yeah, the binder is so complicated because I feel like in the abstract I could think of it as a thing that I hate. Like it's like literally constraining and also like something that I only had to wear because I wanted my body to look different and so or to be different. But I really, really was thinking when I was writing the piece about it, I was like, wow, this garment is just a constant presence in my life. I put it on, I take it off, I wash it, I have a bunch of them, I, they hang on my door. Like, they're never not right there. And mm -hmm. I was like, what will it be like for this to just not be in my life? And this is another thing I can only say being on the other side. I hardly ever think about it. And that's been interesting to me. Like, I haven't thought about my binders, in about binders in, in relation to me, and I don't know how long until you ask me about it. So yeah, I mean, and I, I think like, to some extent, also, like, I'm writing about being transmasculine and my body, but like, all these things are also about being a person. And so that's like, that, but the particulars of like, binding and then not binding anymore. And basically something huge changing about our, our lives, that something was like, so familiar that you thought it would never not be familiar and then suddenly it isn't like that's actually a pretty universal human experience the feeling of something that sort of that you never thought would change suddenly being so absent from your life that you don't even think about it and yeah that's the other thing like too is like I feel like I hope that that comes through too that like the essay is about my chest and about surgery and anticipating it but there's also things about it that are just about being a person mm -hmm. um, Abs absolutely like for me it was also about being seen and not being seen or being valued and supported and not and you made sure to to put your grandmother up up pretty yeah. like pretty up front and you've written about her before and you write about her again here yeah. and, and she just seems amazing yeah and you have the humor too about you know the upper job and everything so can you tell me a little bit about like wh why do you feel like she made you know the essay you have to as a writer writers are always make writers are always making choices 
So yeah. yeah. I love that question. I mean, my grandma is, she, you're very, you're very perceptive to see that she shows up. She actually shows up in almost all of my writing. It's, it's in some way, she's a huge person in my life. And yeah, she, the essay was originally called Upper Job, which was never going to be the right at the title for it. But I was very fond of that as a term. And yeah, I think like this kind of gets back to the thing about sort of like writing, what do I have a story to tell? Like what makes this story worth telling? Like I felt like I didn't, it felt too it felt too like obvious to just begin this essay with like I'm having top surgery in 51 days and I could have and a different version of it would have been fine but I felt sometimes I think these things that are so big in our lives that are hard to write about for whatever reason we sort of need to come at them on a, at a slant and so for me TSA was like the way to come at it was like thinking about this very specific way in my life that my chest was a problem and how that was going to change and like thinking about how that one aspect would change when I had surgery. And then of course, I really associate my grandma with the TSA thing because she's, she, and of course I could have bought myself pre-check too, but it was like, it was really a reflection of the way that she cares for me and is protective of me that she was like, oh, this thing can help you. I want to do it. And yeah, so I, I think, you know, I think it's a good question. Like, why does she show up in all my writing? And I'm, I'm obviously not totally sure, but I think in a way, one thing I can say is that for so many years, I, as I was considering surgery, I would never have not had it because of her, but I think it was a like fear of mine to tell her about it and to wonder how she'd react. And her reaction, which is in the essay, she was like, I'm not so upset. You could have told me, was like such a relief and in some ways was a turning point for me in my own. And I had already made the decision at that point. I had scheduled it, but it, it felt like a, a turning point in my own process. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that you were a little bit fearful, you know, to tell her, even though you obviously have a very strong bond. And it reminded me later in the piece when you were talking about TSA, like you say that you don't like rules mm -hmm. and you come <laughs> across as a very strong person. And yet you say that just being trans, like there's been a sense of like feeling like a skittish animal. And I didn't yeah. quite understand because I was like, oh, wow, this is a strong person. And then all of a sudden you were like really vulnerable. I mean, obviously I can't totally understand it. So I wanted to ask you, like, how does it feel to both be strong and then also sort of like always aware? Yeah, that is such a good question. And that part of the essay, like, I feel like I have another essay in me someday about that feeling because it's related to TSA for sure. But it's really about so much more than just that. And I also struggled to articulate it. and. I'm still actually, to be honest, not totally satisfied with how it came out in the piece, but but an earlier draft of the piece had a even more kind of like limited description of that feeling. And that was feedback from my workshop and my MFA program. People were like, we want to know more about what this feeling is, which is interesting because then I've had friends who are like, oh, yeah, I know that feeling exactly. And I think I think the the I've struggled to articulate it, but I think it's this knowledge I carry around with me that some of us carry around with us. And of course, again, I'm really only speaking for myself. I can't, it's not necessarily true of everybody who shares parts of my identity, or even a lot of my identity, but the knowledge that there is something about me that does feel like it breaks a rule, right? And if we were to put that rule into words, we'd say that people who are assigned female at birth are supposed to be girls and are supposed to be feminine. And like, I've never met, I've always broken that rule just by existing. And so knowing that has made me feel like, like a, like a rule breaker, but not in a badass, like cool, like I'm a rule breaker way, but in like a, I'm in trouble way and makes me sensitive to every other place in the world where 
rules are present. Like, I can't remember if this made it into the final version. I I think it did. I think it did. I'm like really anxious about being underdressed at weddings because I feel like I'm already like there's already something about me that's like doesn't fit into this very gendered space. Mm -hmm. So I have to fit in in every other way. And it is interesting about my grandma that so my grandmother is born and raised in or born in Nazi Germany. Well, born in Germany, which which which, where the Nazis came to power when she was eight and and fled and was in hiding. And to this day has like a pretty fear response to like people in uniform, especially police officers. And it's interesting. Like, I think she actually shares that feeling a little bit with me, this feeling of like, I'm in trouble, which, you know, very different root of that in her own life. But uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's profound how these experiences can affect how, how things about our lives can affect us like just how far the reach is right of like and that's another thing that I've been thinking about these days is like I I think think it's clear in the essay that my I'm so lucky and grew up with such a supportive family and had every reason to feel like loved and accepted for who I was and yet I still struggle with like for example this feeling of feeling like a skittish animal and I sometimes that surprises me like I'm like how how why why was the like support that I grew up with not enough to counteract that but I think the reason is that the forces around us in the world are really powerful and like affect us even when even when we're pretty well insulated from them well even the forces who seemingly could be kind like for example when you say in the essay that you were like telling people that you were going to have the top surgery and like people didn't even know or like oh how how long have you I mean that that both shocked me because I was like, how is that possible? But I know a hundred percent how that happens every day. Like yeah. how people are purposely not seeing just what's very much in front of them. Yeah, that that was a funny and it's like subtle in the essay, but yeah, I, I felt I was very intentional about telling people when they said that to me, like, yeah, I've been thinking about it for 19 years because I was like, this is not a like sort of random impulsive thing happening in my life. This is actually something that's been pretty significantly present for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just appreciate it throughout like the combination not just of the nuance and obviously just like truth telling and your story, but also just how you did combine both seriousness with with humor. Like the bikini part with your therapist mm-hmm. is very funny <laughs> to me. And then right next to it you also talk about the board shorts that I guess uh, uh, a girlfriend's mom or whatever like saw you again and just like this juxtaposition again about clothing and serious and affirming but then also funny i just want to ask like do you also make sure to put into this piece the the humorous aspects as Mm. sort of like as a writerly move or is that just sort of like how you are that's a good question definitely not intentional no and actually i think like anybody in my life would tell you that when i'm trying to be funny i'm not very funny (laughs) and yeah but uh no, I think it's probably, it is, it's not intentional, but it's, it's pretty consistent across my work. And yeah, I think it's like, it's an instinct to have some levity and to sort of infuse the piece with a little bit of awareness of like, okay, this is all really serious and earnest. And also like, I can't always take myself that seriously. And it's like, yeah, I think it's like worth, I mean, it sort of intersects with the thing about like, the feeling from childhood of freeness like I, a thing I also associate with childhood is like play and like just like wanting to like not l- let that get too far um mm-hmm. from the writing and yeah that those those that moment with my therapist was so funny and I it's like 
me including that is laughing at myself like I you know but she was also it was a brilliant thing for her to ask me and I got such sweet like one of my friends read the essay and texted me the sweetest thing and he was like just so you know if you ever want to wear and this is a cis man he was like if you ever want to wear a bikini I'll wear one with you and yeah it just yeah it's really great yeah so I wanted to ask even though you know, not every reader, you know, at Article Club is an educator. We do have some. And, you know, like you're writing your piece to write your piece, but it's a, it's a big time in schools as well, you know, with kids. And even if we don't want to be political, it's an extremely political time. And you wrote this piece, you know, a few years back and everything. But how are you feeling sort of like now that your piece is out there, you're speaking about how there should be a multiplicity of views? I guess my question is, you know, would you have something to share with the educators in our audience with regard to sort of how to be, especially, I mean, if they're cis or if they're trans? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I really, I do think about this and I I definitely very much did not write the piece as, as an educational piece. And yet, like a lot of the really, really beautiful notes I got from people were along the lines of like, this helps me understand you better or this just helps me understand someone who might have your experience and I'm thrilled about that like I don't it wasn't written for that purpose but that's wonderful that it has had that effect to whatever extent it has and which again I think is it's not intending in any way to be defining of this is what it feels like to have this experience this is what it feels like to be transmasculine this is what it feels like to have top surgery it's like this is what it feels like to be me and those things and I'm just one person and I think you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, the stuff, this is so fraught right now and so loaded and the stakes are so high and around trans kids, kids in school, kids being taught about trans identity or about queerness. It's all so heavy right now. And um, I think the main thing is that I sometimes when I talk to people who have some anxiety about this stuff, like, well, how do I explain this? Or what if, what if, you know, this person asked me these questions or what or just like kind of what if like the hypothetical kind of like what if this comes up and it's like I think all those questions forget that like we're all individual and like we're all our own specific people and so when I was growing up I was very gender non-conforming and like I really was basically the person that I am now and there was no not that there were certainly trans people but like language in my personal life like there was not this the conversation that we're having now is not the one that was happening like in my elementary school but what i needed as a kid and that which i got at some in some places certainly from my parents and my family was like just to be looked at as me and like and i don't mean that in a sort of like generic like we're all the same we're all human i actually mean the opposite like i was a specific person and i needed to feel understood as the specific person that i am and so like i you know I, it's interesting for, and this isn't quite what you're asking but like if if i were a kid now like what would i need I, like i would just would want adults in my life educators in my life to not assume that like okay i've read this thing and naomi matches this identity on paper so clearly Naomi must be x and it's like no Naomi is a person so like talk to Naomi about Naomi and I think like people have fear around this stuff like they're like well what if like sort of what if the worst case scenario happens and it's like I mean I'm being a little bit vague about this but it's like that sort of like that question forgets the fact that like each like young people are each individual people who have their own sense of self and we should trust that you know so yeah, I hope that like, like if this piece were being read in a classroom, I would hope that 
people would read it and discuss it as like one individual story and not as any kind of like lesson for like, this is what it means to be this identity. Yeah. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you for your piece. Thanks for sharing so openly about your piece. And thank you for taking the time for Article Club. Oh, it's so my pleasure. It's been really wonderful to talk to you, Mark. Thank you. I want to thank Naomi one more time for doing Article Club, for sharing your piece, and also for sharing your thoughts on the piece. I'm just really, really grateful. And I'm also very appreciative of you all out there listening to this podcast, to this interview, and also participating in Article Club. If you're listening to this and you don't know what Article Club is and you want to join because it might be fun, all you need to do is go to articleclub.org to check out all 381 issues like that's a lot but we've been doing it for a number of years but also i want to invite you to a discussion um it's coming up actually for this piece and so it's coming up next sunday uh, february 26th from 2 to 3 30 p.m pacific time on zoom if you are interested in any way all you need to do is sign up at highlighter.cc slash discussion anyway thanks for listening thank you for being part of article club and i hope you have a great week